Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, welcome to you especially. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us as a church and as our staff, uh, welcome. We're glad that you could be with us today. Uh, when we gather on Sundays, we are a church gathered, but you can't always see everyone who is here. And so we are gathered, some of us physically in person, others of us are gathered online. But wherever you are, we have come into God's house together to see God, to worship Him, and to deepen our love and fellowship with each other. And it is good to be here today. If you are familiar with the Gospels uh, of Jesus, particularly Matthew and Mark and Luke, you will know that as you read them, there's a point in the story where all, there's all this glory about Jesus, and, and people are seeing the amazing, miraculous things that he is doing, and then all of a sudden there is this abrupt shift, and Jesus starts talking about his death, and he starts talking about self-sacrifice and the end of things, and he starts talking about what this is going to cost him and us to follow him. It's a jarring shift, to be sure, when Jesus turns from all the good that he is doing toward the city of Jerusalem where they kill the prophets. And that shift for us as Christians, we try to embody and to practice with a season that we call Lent. Lent is a time when we gird our loins when we shake off the sleep from our eyes, and when with Jesus we turn our attention, not just from the awe and wonderful things that he is doing, but to where this is going, and we try to follow him. Lent is a word that means spring. That's all it means. It's just an ancient Latin word that means spring. Spring is a time when we look around for new life. Lent is a time when we look for death in our lives. And if that seems like a strange, ironic juxtaposition to you, you're right. But that, in fact, captures the heart of the strangeness of Christianity, which is that in God's hands, suffering, death, loss, actually become the gateway to a whole new kind of life. And so, friends, I wish you strength for this journey. The good news is that in the next six weeks, we do not walk alone, but God walks with us and not only does he feed us with words, but each and every week he will feed us at his table with his supper. And that will give us the strength that we do not have on our own to go with him to the cross. And so friends, I'd invite you to join us as we spend Lent together looking in the mirror and looking at Jesus. As we get started this morning, I have two announcements to highlight for you. Uh, the first is that, uh, well, I guess it's just really one. It's just in several parts for some reason. I'm not sure why I did that. But anyway, our announcement uh, to start for this morning is from the deacons, and that is that uh, uh, the Northbridge Senior Center is now offering uh, appointments for vaccinations for COVID-19 for those who are 75 and older. Uh, and so if you would like to find out how you can um, get an appointment for that, uh, you can look online and pull up their phone number there. We'll also be sending a duplicate uh, email, uh, hopefully early this week, with that contact information so that you can reach them. But we wanted to make you aware of that. The other thing to mention is that um, for those of us celebrating communion here in person, uh, you should have received... Um, the elements in your prepackaged container here, uh, which is a way that we're trying to keep each other safe as we celebrate the supper. But of course, if you are at home, uh, please do go ahead and take some time to gather uh, bread and juice or wine uh, to be able to celebrate this morning as we get started. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit and let's worship together. Friends, let us contemplate Jesus the Lord. Instead of the joy meant for him, Let's say together, he, he endured the cross disregarding its disgrace. We, we worship, worship you, Lord. Lord. There we go. O Jesus Christ, born in humility to confound the proud and to raise the humble. We worship you, Lord. You lived among us, healing the sick, proclaiming good news to the poor and freedom to prisoners. We worship you. You came to unbind the chains of every slavery. O friend of the humble, bread of hungry hearts. We worship you, Lord. Jesus, full of patience and goodness, you showed forgiveness and kindness to the very end. We worship you, Lord. 
Jesus, gentle and humble of heart, you call to yourself all who are weary and burdened. We worship you, Lord. Jesus, you came into the world to serve and to give your life. You were betrayed for money, dragged before judges, and nailed to a cross. We worship you, Lord. Jesus, Lord of the universe, by your resurrection from the dead, you are alive at the Father's side, and there you prepare a place for us. Friends, let's worship in song together.
Friends, you may be seated. During Lent, we devote ourselves to the one who has spared no expense in devoting himself to us. Ironically, the way that we deepen our own devotion is by acknowledging our our faithlessness. When Christians gather, they proclaim the worthiness and the glory of Jesus, and at the same time, they also acknowledge that there is no other way that they could have gotten into the room to be in his presence. It's reflected in a psalm, uh, Psalm 15, which puts it like this for us. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken, and in the presence of God we acknowledge that we are not that flawless person. But Jesus was, and he gave all of that to us. And so in the strength of his devotion to us, friends, I invite you to confess your sins together. We do this, we're going to make our prayer of confession together both with words and with uh, a, a sung prayer refrain called the Kyrie eleison, it means, Lord, have mercy on me. The words will be uh, up there, and the music, if you'd like to see it, is in your bulletin as well. Friends, let's make our pr- prayer of confession together. Would you sing with me? confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Together, Have mercy on us, O God. We have not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, O God. We confess to you, O God, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives. We confess to you, our self-indulgent appetites and ways, and our exploitation of other people. We confess to you, O God. Our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves. We confess to you, O God. Our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts, and our dishonesty, dishonesty in daily life and work. We confess to you, O God our negligence in prayer and worship, our failure to commend the faith that is in us. We confess to you, O God. Accept our repentance, O God, for the wrongs we have done, for our neglect of human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, O God. For all false judgments, 
for uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors and for our prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us. Accept our repentance, O God. For our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. Accept our repentance, O God. Restore us, O God, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, O God, for your mercy is great. Amen. Let's sing together. Merciful God, we ask that you would hear our prayers sung, spoken, and offered silently whispers, as whispers to you, that you would hear them in the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, in the presence of this God who can tell us the truth of ourselves, he also sets before us the good news of his gospel I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry, the psalmist says. He lifted me out of the pit, and he set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And we say together, because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Thanks be to God. Would you rise in body or in spirit and let's respond with thanks.
in that light, I can say to you, the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share that peace with each other. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dawn, and I am an elder here at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. And it is my privilege to bring us in prayer this morning. Uh, before we pray, I do want to mention just one thing that was brought to my attention. Um, I understand that Joy fell this week and broke her arm. Um, she made a trip to the hospital, but is back home, I believe. Um, but would definitely be in asking of our prayers and um, keeping her in thought this week and maybe a greeting for her, as this will definitely slow her down. So if you would um, bow your heads and come with me in prayer before our Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. You have loved us from before time began with a love so deep that you were willing to sacrifice your one and only son so that we could spend eternity with you. Thank you for loving us despite all of our failures and the many ways in which we turn our backs toward you. Lord, we thank you for placing us in this family we call Pleasant Street CRC. Thank you for each member of our family, whether they are worshiping in these pews this morning joining us by Zoom from their homes in the Blackstone Valley and beyond, or watching us later by recording. We give you thanks for technology and for those skilled to use it to keep us connected when we are not able to be together in person. For those in our community and our world, Father, for our missionaries, our church planters, those who are in service to you throughout the world, Father, in places where people are not able to come together to worship you or must worship in secret for fear of persecution. Father, you have blessed us to live in a country with freedom, to be able to worship freely, and we ask that you would help us not to take that privilege lightly. Help us to remember those who are in places of danger and thank you for their willingness to obey you. We pray today, Lord, for those who are carrying heavy burdens, for those who are experiencing recent loss of loved ones, whether expected or unexpected. Lord, we ask you to be near to them, that they will feel your peace and comfort filling the voids at their tables and in their homes. For those who are battling illnesses or injuries, for joy. For those who are struggling with cancers, dementias, COVID and its effects, depressions, effects of aging. Lord, we pray for healing for them, for strength for their caregivers. Father, we thank you for healing for Diana and the children, that they could be together and worship together as a family today. Father, thank you that Ruth could be back with us as well for bringing healing for her and for Steve, for Mark and his family. And for all of those others, Lord, who maybe we don't know their names, but we know they have been struggling as well. Father, for those who are lonely and feeling isolated, again, whether as a result of this pandemic or physical frailties and limitations, old age, we pray that they would feel your presence and that you would open our eyes to see opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. We pray also, Father, for the millions of families caught up in the winter blast of unusual and extreme cold in the South. Many are without power, heat, food, and water, all comforts that are so easy for us to take for granted. Many are experiencing loss of property, homes, and even life due to freezing temperatures and related damages. Show us and others, Lord, the ways to be a blessing even if from a distance. Father, as we enter this Lenten season, we pray that you would help us to see our true reflections in the mirror of your love. Father, it's so easy for us to look at ourselves, and sometimes, Lord, we confess that we think 
pretty highly of ourselves. And when in light, if you looked at us through the lens of what we really are, Father, you would turn your eyes away from us. But thank you that you see us through the lens of your love and that you see us through the gift of your Son. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for us. And Lord, as we walk from last week's mountaintop experience in the transfiguration, as we walk this road with Jesus to Jerusalem, looking forward to Calvary and that mountain where our guilt and our sins are so high, Father, we thank you that you love us, that you are willing to sacrifice for us, and again, that you would call us your children. Lord, we thank you and we pray for Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us. We ask that you would speak through him and impart your wisdom to him as he leads us on this path, not only through the Lenten season, but, Father, as he leads us as a church. We love you, Lord. We want to worship you. And we give you all the honor and glory that is due you in the name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Pleasant Street. Today's reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, the also famous parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he, excuse me, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, it's Lent. Let's go. Would you pray with me? Compassionate God, how easily you love those who look unlovable to us. How readily you welcome undesirables into your home and how slow we are to follow your example. Today, Lord, as you turn toward Jerusalem, we turn to you and your word. Send your spirit and help us to turn in our lives to repent. Help us to turn our hearts toward all who are considered outcast, shunned, unclean, so that we may love our neighbor, all for the sake of the one who became flesh to cleanse the world of sin and death forever, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. It's no secret by this point that I am a big fan of Flannery O'Connor. And uh, Flannery O'Connor has a story called Good Country People, which is about Mrs. Hopewell. 
Mrs. Hopewell was always disappointed in her daughter. Mrs. Hopewell named her daughter Joy originally, but Joy changed it to Holga when she went away to college. Holga never smiled. Mrs. Hopewell had wanted Holga to be a teacher or a nurse when she went to school, but Holga decided to do a PhD in philosophy, which was very disappointing. You can't brag to the neighbors about a daughter who is doing something that ended with the Greeks. Mrs. Hopewell always had something to say about Holga, her posture, her tone of voice, her appearance. Usually these observations would occur over the breakfast table or at dinner in the small kitchen. Holga, the story goes, wore a prosthetic leg. And it seems as though her mother is trying to do everything in her power to make up for it. Mrs. Hopewell made it clear in so many words that there was a discrepancy for her between the joy that she wanted and the Holga she got. Well, one morning, not able to bear it anymore, Holga jumped up, mouth full of food at the breakfast table, and exclaimed, Do you ever look inside and see what you are not? Holga, the physically impaired daughter, reveals something to her mother that she has trouble seeing any other way. Mrs. Hopewell is spiritually impaired. Holga is a mirror, showing her mother what she is not. We're talking about mirrors. In fact, we're surrounded by them in many ways this morning. A quick look in the mirror reveals a stain or a wrinkle well enough. We know this. Look a little longer in the mirror and it'll show you the years you're wearing or perhaps how the, we- the, we- the years are wearing you. But few of us, writes Edna Hong, have ever looked long enough in mirrors to see What seems normal in us is actually as graceless as a scarecrow and even repulsive. And that is because in mirrors we see how we look, but to see ourselves truthfully is much harder and much more painful. Today, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, and seeing ourselves is the task set before us as we begin our journey of Lent. Lent is about learning to spot spiritual deformities, blemishes, proclivities, sins. Following Jesus does not mean looking in to find your spirit tiger. Lent means looking in in order to see what we are not. Lent, in other words, is about coming to the end of ourselves and our resources as quickly as possible, which is why Lent is so long. Because the path to the truth of oneself is long and it is snagged with thorns. And at the end of our journey with Jesus, all our self-delusion will be stripped away and we will stand beneath him as he is stripped naked on the cross. And there we will see that the pure, spotless lamb is wearing our iniquity for us. And his wounds will be how we get healed. But if we're going to see the truth of ourselves at all on this journey, we're going to need a better mirror. Fortunately, Jesus is with us on this journey and not just at the end. And Jesus is the one who perfectly reflects God's glory and goodness and truth and beauty That is why all these years later, people from all over the world are still captivated by him. And that is also why all these years later, Jesus is still so dangerous. Because he is the mirror who shows us what we are not. And seeing what we are not is not always what we want to see. As the lawyer in today's story can testify, no doubt. For he comes to Jesus with a question What he gets is a story, like a mirror, showing him what he is not, what he did not want to see. The lawyer, being a studious and righteous person, does what a studious and righteous person would. 
he presents himself before a rabbi to see how he looks, to see how he measures up. He's looking for reflection on his life, you could say. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, sometimes people ask Jesus questions that aren't actually questions, they're traps. But this question doesn't have to be antagonistic. Let's assume it's honest. Jesus seems to. Jesus replies with his own question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Shema. It's the great two commandments. Priests and Levites recite them twice every day. Jesus says, you are correct. This is the way to eternal life. Do this and you will live. Well, well, hold on. Wait a minute. The lawyer already knows that. He already sees that these are the two greatest commandments. He already does that, in fact. But something about that is he's just not quite satisfied. He wants to justify himself. He wants Jesus, in other words, to know that he knows that it's not always that simple. Right? Like, like sometimes loving God and loving your neighbor do seem to conflict with each other. That sometimes your neighbor isn't very scrupulous about shellfish or being ritually pure. Sometimes your neighbor is sick, and if you touch them, you'd be unclean for a while. Sometimes you have to get near people who don't think like you do. Sometimes you have to get near death, even. And God is very clear that holiness, being wholly devoted to Him, means avoiding the things that defile, including maybe some of our neighbors. So he asks the obvious question, well, but, well, but who is my neighbor? Who, at the end of the day, am I actually obligated to love? Because he wants Jesus to know that he knows that love is hard and love is messy and it's very complicated. So, so who do I actually need to love Jesus? Of course, we can all see clear as day what he's actually asking. What he's actually asking is, Jesus, who, whom don't I have to love? When can I stop loving? When have I met my obligation to God to love? And Jesus sees like we do what, what he's asking. But rather than call him out for it or explain his answer with a diatribe, Jesus tells a story. And the story is a mirror. A man, we are supposed to assume Jewish, is walking the treacherous Jericho Road. It's very steep, 17 miles long, no cover, lots of rocks, bandits and robbers all over the place. They use it for ambush. That's what happens to this man. They beat him. They strip him of his clothes. They leave him for dead on the road. Priest walks by, nothing. Levite walks by, nothing. Now, we have to know that this is a familiar grouping for Jesus' audience. Usually, rabbis trying to make a point would tell a story, and they would use this triad of priest and then Levite and then Israelite to talk about the highest good. The priest doesn't help. The Levite passes by. They expect Israelite. He's going to help him. Jesus says, Samaritan. A Samaritan, a half-breed a willfully backwards and inferior religious and ethnic group, a Samaritan helps. A Samaritan goes above and beyond the best of what Jewish law had to offer. He picks up the man. He bandages the man. He puts him on his own donkey, thereby exposing himself to robbers. He puts him in an inn. 
He fronts two weeks of food and lodging there. He sets up a tab in his name. And all of this for a complete stranger who does not even seem to be conscious. And Jesus asks, who do you think was a neighbor? There is no other answer. The one who showed mercy. Hey, but did you notice that wasn't the question? He comes to Jesus asking, teacher, what, what do I have to do? And then he wants some finer resolution, some clarification when he gets an answer. But Jesus answers by telling a story that asks, what kind of person are you? Jesus' story sets up an embarrassing situation for the lawyer. The story is a mirror showing him what he is not. Just this week, I saw an opinion piece, a story in the L.A. Times from a columnist named Virginia Heffernan. It was about her neighbors, of all things. She and her husband are from the city, but they have been riding out COVID in a kind of country retreat house this year. Well, two weeks ago, there was a giant snowstorm in her COVID retreat neighborhood in the woods. And wouldn't you know it, but her very politically conservative neighbors next door plowed her driveway. Well, this seemingly simple act of kindness actually created something of a rather embarrassing dilemma for Virginia. Because uh, she said that um, not only did her enemies show her kindness, worse, her neighbor, quote, backdragged the driveway like a pro. Heffernan acknowledges that she comes from a city where no one shows kindness without wanting something in return, and so she is naturally suspicious. But whatever the motive, she knows that she has to respond. Heffernan says, of course, I realize I owe them thanks, but the question is, how much thanks? <laughs> After a tortured self-journey of... of uh, of probing uh, her own moral inventory, she decides that she's going to give a, police, uh, a brief, polite wave, uh, but that that should never be construed as a sign that for her everything is all right in the world. Now, the irony of a progressive elite who is for equality and justice but who cannot accept kindness from a neighbor is not lost on us. She might not realize it, but we can see clear as day that, that that column isn't actually about political grievances or neighbors. It's about her. It's about her. She is this close to seeing what she is not. If only she could look in the mirror. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, who is the last person you'd ever want and who you'd ever expect to help finding you? Who's the last person you'd want to? Now imagine them taking you to the ER when no one else would. Changing your clothes when you can't. Bringing groceries to your door when you've run flat out of cash. Of course we would owe them. But yes, how much thanks do we owe them? Now we're getting close to. Everyone defines who deserves their help and whom they should be able to expect to help them. We need to know where the boundaries for love are. Why? So we know who we can overlook. Otherwise, we might very well be obligated to the whole world, to all other humans in the world, which is in fact more or less what Thomas Aquinas observed a century ago. He said that justice or treating a person as someone of equal worth and dignity as you, that's just what we owe every single creature in the world because we are all made by one God. And we know that deep in our bones somewhere, but it's just easier when some people fall outside the scope of our view. Ellen Davis is an Episcopal theologian who I've come to respect over the years and she once wrote about a very painful realization about a time when people fell outside of her view. They were quite literally beneath her, and she couldn't see it. 
It was a happy day for her, and she was in New York City when she encountered poor neighbors. She had gone that day with her fiancé to the Diamond District of New York in order to choose a wedding ring. But, she says, in order to enter the building that we were going to go into, we stepped over the semi-supine bodies of young people who, apart from their dirtiness and vacant facial expressions, very much resembled our students. She stepped over them like piles of snow, and it still haunts her to this day. How could that happen? How could an Episcopal priest, steeped in the language of the Bible and the love of God, do that? Because that person, those people, fell outside the limits of love. Which is exactly why Jesus will not allow the question that the lawyer is asking. Will not even allow the thought that a human could be a non-neighbor. Because if a Samaritan does this for a half-dead Jewish man, then anyone and everyone is a neighbor. And why is that important for us? Well, because wherever the line falls on the limits for love, the people on the other side of that line become none of my concern. They become unlovable. And on the other side of that line, that is the place where racism grows. That is the place where humans become just tissue. That is the place where the hurting become monsters and where people become objects not to trip over. And Jesus tells this story to show us what we are not. We are not those who keep the law in all its infinite, beautiful, splendiferous immensity. We are those who make the law small and manageable. We are exclusive and excluding, but ironically, we are not exclusive enough. Because Jesus' definition of love is much more exclusive than even ours. In fact, Christianity is the one religion in the world that is so exclusive about what love is that it's actually the only one that's wide open to everyone. Jesus is saying that you cannot, at the end of the day, define who a neighbor is. You can only be one. And anyone can be a neighbor because everyone is a neighbor. And that, in all of its exclusive absolutism, is simply impossible for us to try to accomplish on our own steam. We cannot live that way, which seems to be the deeper point in Jesus' story. The point is not that now we have to love the whole world all the time in every way possible as though we were God himself. That would crush us. The point is that God has and already does love the whole world. And because of that, you too, you too. And that is what opens our eyes and empowers us to love the person who is right in front of us. Which, of course, is what Jesus is doing just now for the lawyer by looking at the person right in front of him and telling a story that can show him what kind of person he is, more importantly, to see what kind of person Jesus is. Jesus is the one... <laughs> who sees each and every one of us all the way to the bottom, who sees us better than we do, and he loves us anyway. Some years ago, Tim Keller met a woman who began coming to his church in Manhattan. This was before he had retired there, and one day she came up to him after church to talk, as sometimes people would do, and she explained that she had gone to church as a child, but that she'd always heard that God accepts us only if we are good and ethical. 
She had never heard the message that Keller talks about all the time, which is that we can be accepted by God by sheer grace through the work of Christ, regardless of anything we have done or can do. She said, that is a scary idea. Oh, it's, it's good scary, but it's still scary. Keller was intrigued, right? so, he, so he asks her, what is so scary about free, unmerited grace that comes to you apart entirely of anything that you have been or done or are? And she replied something like this. She said, if I was saved by my good works or my family history, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or could put me through. I'd be like a taxpayer with rights. At some point, I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if it is really true that I am a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. Which, of course, is only good news for us because there's nothing that God has not given to you and to me and to us. Or as our Heidelberg Catechism puts it, you and I were bought with a price. Why? Why would God do that for us? For us, looking as we do, seeing us as we are. Just take a look in the mirror. There you will see a person whom God made. And God does not despise what he makes. He recreates what he makes. He heals what he makes. He tends it like a shepherd. And at infinite cost to himself, he redeems it. He redeems it. He redeems you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Compassionate God, how easily you love those who look unlovable to us. How readily you welcome undesirables into your home. How slow we are to follow your example. Today, Lord, you have turned toward Jerusalem and we have turned to your word. We ask that you would leave your spirit with us, that you would help us to, in the strength of that spirit, to repent, to turn. Help us to turn our hearts toward all who are considered outcasts, shunned, unclean, so that we may love our neighbor, so that we may see our neighbor, and all for the sake of the one who became flesh to cleanse the world of sin and death forever, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, I invite you to respond together with me. We have come to the table. All is prepared Friends, we get to respond by taking it together. Some of us are at this table here in the room. Others of us are at tables in our living room or our dining room. Whatever table you are at together this morning, we have come to the Lord's table. And all is prepared for he has done everything that is required. And it is time to eat together. And so friends, as we partake of the supper together... Uh, let's say the prayer liturgy of the great thanksgiving together. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God our Savior, we give you thanks and praise that when the nations had strayed far from your ways, you called Abraham. And when your people were lost and oppressed, you sent Jesus. And when we are defeated, downcast, and desolate, in the power of your Holy Spirit, you make Jesus present to us. You pick us up from our failure, our oppression, and our sin, and journey with us, and bring us to safety, and promise to return. In the death and resurrection of Christ, you heal the wounds of the past, and offer the gift of an everlasting future with you. And so... With all who have walked the wilderness way and all who walk it this day, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we join the unending song saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, 
God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Enduring God, you, as you sustained Jesus in hunger and thirst through this meal, we ask that you would strengthen and sustain us to keep our Lenten fast. Send your Holy Spirit upon us as we remember Jesus' saving passion. Transform our insatiable desires into hunger for the feast of this table. Send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this uh, cup that they may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us this memorial of his sacrifice before he suffered. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God, he, he offered it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Forgiving God. In this season of repentance, make your mercy sufficient for every need. Come to your children who are in their own wilderness and make their wanderings into holy paths of learning your truth. Strengthen all who face the threshold of temptation or the tumult of trial. Seek those whose hearts are contrite and meet them with grace. Come, along your, uh, come alongside your children who suffer under the sin of another and give them power to live as your beloved sons and daughters. Renew your church in your heart of compassion, the place where justice and mercy meet. Bring us with all your saints to the day when all who watch and pray and weep for your kingdom will behold your salvation and meet you in your resurrection. God, most glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited now to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'd invite you to take your morsel, flip it over to find the side that has the, uh, the, the bread chiclet in it. Go ahead and open that. And for our new friends or those who are young among us, when we take this bread and juice, it's a little bit of bread and it's a little bit of juice, but Jesus turns it into a great big meal of faith for us. So friends, let's go ahead and do that together. Friends, take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given to you for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Brothers and sisters, take Drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Thanks be to God. Friends, having been fed with God's word and at his supper, we are invited now to rise and respond together. Let's sing, We Labor Unto Glory.
and having tasted that kingdom, God sends us out full of those glimpses to in fact see it in the world among us, to point to it and invite others into it as well. Friends, you go in the power and the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. The Lord has turned his face towards you. It shines on you and he will not change his mind. Receive God's parting blessing. Sisters and brothers, let us claim the freedom Christ gives us by his self-giving on the cross. May he enable us to serve together in faith, hope, and love. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. And may the God of love who shared his love strengthen us in our love for others. May the Son who shared his life grant us grace that we might share our life. And may the Holy Spirit dwelling in us empower us to be, the, be only and always for others. Amen. Amen.